Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. And today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And it is my prayer that the message you are about to hear helps you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Okay. Ready? Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. Uh, so, you know, last week we finished up our study of Ephesians. Uh, next week we're going to start studying the book of Psalms together, and we'll spend uh, a few months walking through the Psalms together. We're not going to do all 150 Psalms. Uh, that would take a very long time, but we're going to hit uh, a good many of them, and I want to show you lots of different things in the Psalms that I just think are really fascinating and helpful for us in our walk with the Lord. So I'm looking forward to that next Sunday. So, so on this Covenant Sunday, I want us to look at just a couple of verses uh, from 1 Thessalonians that I think will help us to think through what we're doing today. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. If you are new to the Bible, 1 Thessalonians is not hard to find at all. We've been in Ephesians for a long time. Ephesians is right there in the middle of your New Testament. If you can find Ephesians, just go a couple books forward and you'll find yourself in 1 Thessalonians. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay because in the uh, seat before you, you'll find a copy of the Bible down the book rack. Take that Bible and find 1 Thessalonians 3 with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 11 through 13. We'll read that together in just a moment. Also want to remind you that after we end our time in the worship center, we will make our way over to the Family Life Center and have a picnic together. So um, come on, join us for lunch. We've got plenty of food. We'd love for you to stick around and just enjoy time with us as a faith family. So that's right after this service. So, so many of you remember the pandemic. You haven't forgotten that yet. That was back in 2020. It seems like forever ago, but it really wasn't. It was just a couple of years ago. And you also remember that during the pandemic, a couple of times, something really cool happened. You woke up and you checked your bank account and magically there was money there. Like, this is really, really neat. And we all thought, this is a lot of fun. And now we're paying for it, right? I mean, we got all this free money, but we come to find out that nothing's really free. And now we're paying lots of money for everything. But that's another conversation for another day. And I don't want to talk about that. But I did want to tell you that to tell you that there was a community in Japan here recently that decided to do something similar to what was done here in the United States. This was just one community, one isolated community of about uh, 5,000 people. Uh, the, the local city officials got together and they wanted to give stimulus money uh, to the different citizens of their community that were experiencing the hardships of, of COVID-19. And, and so they determined uh, to, to, to give $780 in, in American money. It would have been 
whatever the Japanese currency is there. You can do the math if you want to. But uh, uh, the equivalent of 780 American dollars uh, into every person's bank account. So you would wake up. They announced it. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to wake up tomorrow and, and magically, right, uh, there's going to be money in your bank account and go, you know, use it for your family, whatever the needs are. We just want to, to help with this, this uh, you know, this difficult time, all those kinds of things. And so I, I don't know how it happens because I, I don't work in that world. I don't know what, what happens to when, when you have to actually, you know, transfer a large sum of money from one centralized location to thousands of different bank accounts. But there was somebody somewhere, right, somebody who had the, 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 the task, the job of, of hitting that button. I don't know what that button was or where that button is, but hitting that button, right, uh, that sends that money into everybody's bank account. Well, apparently, whoever had hit that button to send all that money into everybody's bank account didn't hit it right. I don't know how that works either, but, but, but when everybody woke up on that day that they were expecting to get 780 additional dollars in their bank account, nobody had it, except for one 24-year-old young man. The person hit the wrong button, and $360,000 was deposited into an account of a 24-year-old young man. He woke up expecting to see $780. He didn't see $780. He saw $360,000. That's a good day. And when the government, right? And when the government gives you a handout, you take it. And, and, and so that's what he did. And, and, and they, they finally figured it out, whoever it was figured it out, that all this money had gone to this 24-year-old young man's bank account. They called him, and they tried to get him to give it back. And, you know, you think if you're a nice guy, I wouldn't give it back. But he didn't, right? You gave me a handout. I'm going to take my handout. And so he, he had this $360,000. You know what he did with it? He went to the casinos. Oh, I kid you not. And he lost it all. That's a bad day for everybody. So, so they, 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 they put him in jail, all this kind of stuff, all kinds of craziness in this little community. You can imagine the uproar. I mean, nobody likes him anymore. I mean, he had friends and family. They've all disowned him. I mean, it's terrible, right? And, 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 and you could, you know, we could easily say that, that, that this man, I mean, he, he did the wrong thing, and certainly he did. He shouldn't have done any of that. He should have given the money back. I get all that. But there was somebody who had one job to get all that money into everybody's bank account. And can you imagine going to work the next day after you had given $360,000 to one 24-year-old young man? I don't know if that person lost their job or not, but let's just say, to say the least, that was a little bit of a mistake, right? So we sit in a room like this, and I bet, I don't think any of you have made a mistake quite that big. At least I hope you haven't. But, but we could go around this room, and we could talk about mistakes that we've made. We've all made them, countless mistakes. And, and, I, and I get that. We, we've said the wrong things. We've done the wrong things. I mean, that, that's life. That's just who we are. We're people who make lots of mistakes. But, but as we think about church covenant today, here's what I want to remind you, that we serve a God who does not make a single mistake. And here's why I need to tell you that, because I am firmly convinced that you are not in this room by accident. I am firmly convinced that, 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 that you aren't a part of this faith family by chance. But a sovereign God who makes no mistakes, who determines your days and determines your steps according to his perfect design, he has placed you, he has placed me, he has placed us in this body of believers as one faith 
family. We are not together by a mistake. And we are not together by accident. We are together because of the sovereign design of God. And God, now watch this, has called us together to be, listen, listen, a covenant family. Now, let's stop right there and talk about it for a moment. We're going to get to the text in just a moment, but just hear me out for a few minutes. I'm going to give you some information, so just sit up for a second and listen carefully to, uh, to, 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 to this for a moment. I know the word covenant isn't a word we use a lot outside of a church context, right? I mean, when's the last time outside of a church context you used the word covenant? But, but covenant is really important, isn't it? Because when you think about the word covenant, what a covenant is, it is a relationship, a relationship between two people who make promises to each other to accomplish something together. Many of us in this room are married. If you're married, you're in a covenant relationship. You stood before a pastor, you stood before a minister, you stood before a judge, you stood before somebody, and you made vows to your spouse, and you made a promise for better, for worse, till death do us part. That, that was committing yourself to a covenant relationship, that you are in this relationship until death, partnering together for the sake of something. Within the church, what's happened is God has called us into a covenant with himself and also a covenant with each other, that we are in a covenant relationship as the people of this church. We are committed to each other. We've promised, right, to walk together by faith for the sake of Jesus Christ and to make him known in this community and this world as God leads us. That's a covenant. And you know this, a covenant is very different than a contract. A covenant's relational. A contract, not so much. Many of you are like me. You, you got a house. And I remember a couple years ago and, and signed the papers on, on my mortgage loan and, and, and I signed a contract that every single month I would pay a certain amount of money on the uh, payment of my loan until that loan is paid off 3,000 years from now, right? And, and, and you, you did that too, right? Unless you just have a lot of money, you were able to pay cash for it. And if, if that's you, man, I, you're... you're that's great, but, but that wasn't me. And so, so you, I signed that contract, and, and here's, the, here's the deal, right? If, if, if I don't pay every month the, the, the amount of money that I agreed to pay, what's going to happen? They're going to foreclose my house, and I'm going to come live with you. That's what's going to happen, right? And, and, and here's reality. Uh, my, my mortgage company, my, that, that bank that, that holds that loan, they don't care. They don't care about my life circumstances, they don't care about my situation. They don't care if I've lost my job. They don't care if, if, if you know, we were stricken with some kind of disease. They don't, they don't care about any of that. They just want their money. And I signed on the dotted line that I give them my money. And if I don't give them my money, they take in my house. That's a contract. It's not relation, relational. It's just business. That's not the church. The church is covenant. That, that we are together committing ourselves to each other for the purpose of knowing Christ and making him known. That's a covenant relationship. Now, now here's what we do in our church, and, and many of you, if you're part of our church, you know this. Every year we take a Sunday like today, and we sign our church covenant as a symbol that we are renewing our commitment to this local church. And, and sometimes I'm asked a question, and it's a very fair question. Why do we sign the covenant? Nobody signs covenants in the Bible. You're exactly right. You can read through Scripture, and you don't see examples of people signing covenants. It's just not there. But here's what you and I do know. We do know that the Bible is a book 
of covenants. Do we not? I mean, as, as we saw it in Genesis, when we studied Genesis some time ago, at the very beginning of the Bible, God makes a covenant with Adam and Eve that he would one day send someone who would crush the head of the serpent. God made a covenant with Noah. God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with, with Moses and, and the people of Israel. God made a covenant with David. I mean, God makes covenants. And with us, he has made a covenant with us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so the Bible is a book of covenants that God has called us into a covenant relationship with him. And now while we don't see people signing covenants in the Bible, we certainly see the idea of covenant all over scripture. And so years ago, I don't know how long it was, it was before I was the pastor here, this church made the decision that the way that we would yearly remind ourselves that we're in a covenant relationship with one another would simply be by doing what? Just signing this covenant every year, just to remind ourselves, just as a reminder that this is what we're committing to. Now, I know you know this, and I, I know many of us in this church, we've been a part of a church for a long time. Some of us, n- not quite as long, but, but, but perhaps you know this, that every church has what we call a statement of faith. Everybody still awake? Here's what a statement of faith is. A statement of faith is simply, this is what we believe. And so this church, we have a statement of faith. We have a statement of faith that we share in common with, with churches in our Southern Baptist Convention. It's called the Baptist Faith and Message. And what that statement of faith does, it simply summarizes what we believe based on Scripture, what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about salvation, what we believe about uh, the church's role in this world and in the government, all those kinds of things. That's a statement of faith. And every church has a set of beliefs, a statement of faith. And lots of churches have a church covenant. How many of you grew up in a church where you had a hymnal? You know what those are? Yeah, hymnals. Now, how many of you who grew up in church with a hymnal, in the back of that hymnal was pasted a church covenant? Okay, some of us did. I remember that growing up. There was a church covenant pasted in the back of my hymnal. But I had no idea what it was because we never talked about it. It was just pasted in the back of the hymnal, right? And so what this church decided to do years ago was to bring that covenant to the forefront just as a reminder that we're committing to something. So think about like this. Everybody still with me? Uh, uh, A statement of faith is what we believe. A covenant is how we live in light of what we believe. Does it make sense to you? And so we have both. We have a statement of faith as a church, and we have a covenant. Here's how we are committing together to live as a body of Christ. And if you were to read through our covenant, it is simply a reflection of how we're choosing to live in light of who we say we are. That's it. And so again, what we've decided to do as a church is just every year to sign the covenant just as a reminder to ourselves that we're in this together. That's what it is. Now, what I want to do for the few moments we have together is I want to look at a passage here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, and I want to talk about the essence of a covenant. Now, in this passage we're going to look at, Paul doesn't specifically talk about covenant. He doesn't use the word covenant. But but I think what you see here is the heart of, of what lies at a covenant relationship between God's people. So take your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. What I want to show you in this passage of Scripture this morning are two recommitments that we're making this morning as a body of Christ. Two recommitments that we're making this morning as a body of Christ. So take your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse, verses 11 through 13. When you have that passage of Scripture, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. Beginning in verse 11, this is what the Bible says. 
Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you just for a day each year that we can set aside to remember our commitment to you and our commitment to each other, that we are in a covenant relationship with the God who loves us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and we are in a covenant relationship with each other because of that as well. And so, Father, as we listen to your word proclaimed this morning, I pray that you would help us listen attentively to what you're saying, and you would help us be a people this morning that want to live out the truths of your word, that we would be a people who desire to continue to live in a covenant relationship with each other for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the glory of Jesus Christ, and ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. You can have a seat. Now, I don't know when the last time it was that you read through 1 Thessalonians, but it's an interesting letter. Uh, so, so kind of the backstory of this letter, it, it comes from Acts chapter 17. Uh, the Apostle Paul was on one of his missionary journeys, and, and he, he went to this town, Thessalonica. And, and you know how Paul was when he went to these towns. He would go to the synagogues, and, and he would preach the gospel. And he went to this town, Thessalonica, and he preached the gospel, and it went well. People were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, when you go back and read the first few verses of Acts chapter 17, it, it tells us that some of the influential people of Thessalonica, they were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel was taking root in this ancient city. It was good, and it also made some people angry. You see, a lot of times when Paul would go to a city, he'd stay for a while. Not Thessalonica, because as a result of what was going on, a riot broke out, and Paul was run out of town. And now when you read 1 Thessalonians, what Paul wants, he wants to go back. It's been a long time since he's been at Thessalonica. He wants to go back and visit and and check on these, these people that he loves to see how they're doing. And so he longs for the day that he can go back to Thessalonica. But, but since he had not had the opportunity to go back, he did the next best thing. He sent his protege, Timothy, to Thessalonica. Many of you are aware of who Timothy was. Timothy was this, this young man who, who, who traveled with Paul, who, who Paul was training for ministry. And so, so Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica, and Timothy has now come back to Paul after being in Thessalonica. And when Timothy comes back after being in Thessalonica, he, he gives Paul just a good report about the people there. He said, man, they're growing. And, and when Paul writes this letter, he says in the very first chapter, here's what I know about you, that you're growing in faith and hope and love. And, but while they were growing in Christ, now follow me, while they were growing, th- there were still some issues. There was com- some confusion in Thessalonica over uh, what the return of Christ would be like. Some even thought that maybe it already returned. They just didn't know. And what happens when you die? They had these big questions. And so, so Paul writes this letter in part to address that question. What does the return of Christ look like? In fact, in every chapter of of this letter, in fact, in the verses we just read, in every chapter, Paul mentions in some way the return of Christ. Now, in the verses I read to you a moment ago, Paul's doing what Paul does best. He's telling the church at Thessalonica how he's praying for them. When we studied Ephesians, we, we looked at some beautiful prayers that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And now here you are in, in 1 Thessalonians, and it's the same thing. 
Paul is telling us how he's praying for the church at Thessalonica. And look at it again. This is really good. You come down and you look at what he says in verse 13, or excuse me, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord, listen, cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. Oh, come on now. Think about this idea of covenant. At the heart of a covenant relationship is what? Love for each other. Now, that's not new to you. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But you understand this, that that as Christians, that's the goal. That we're growing in our love for God and we're growing in our love for each other. And you know what the Apostle John says in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, when, when John is reflecting on what love is, he says, this is what love is. It's what Christ has done. That you would lay down your life for someone. And, and, and John goes on to say in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who knows God loves God. For, for, for God is love, and he who loves not knows not love. In other words, John says, here is the evidence that you really know that you love the Lord. The evidence that you really know that you love the Lord is your ability to love other people. And so when, when, when Paul writes these words, we're on familiar ground. I mean, okay, Paul, I get it. Yeah, 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 love one another. Okay, we've heard that before. That's not new. You're praying that we would love one another. I get it. But let's just be honest. That's a struggle. So I don't know if you know this or not, but in the New Testament, now I just want to take some time and camp out here for a moment. In the New Testament, there, there are these statements over and over again. We call them the one another statements. Are you familiar with those? In fact, there are about 60 of these one another statements. And these one another statements, what they are, is they are are practical reminders of what love looks like for each other. And it's interesting. Because when you read through these one another statements in Scripture, here's what you don't find. These one another statements, they don't say things like this. Be bitter with one another. It's not there. Be hateful towards one another. Not there. Gossip about one another. Not there. Slander one another. Not there. Tear one another down. Not in Scripture. Hurt one another. Not there. Abuse one another. Not there. None of those things are in the New Testament. But here's what I know and here's what you know as well. We've seen those things lived out in the church. You've seen bitterness in the church. You've seen anger in the church. You've seen slander. You've experienced gossip, hurtfulness, hatefulness. You've seen that in the church. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Instead, and I'm not going to give you all of them, but but when you read through the New Testament, it's, it's this. Here's the outpouring of love. Bear one another's burden. And aren't you thankful? Because there have been times in your life as a Christian, I'm sure someone has come alongside of you in love and bared your burden with you. Or comfort one another. I talked to Charlie. I told you about Charlie losing his wife unexpectedly Friday night. I talked to him several times yesterday. And and, and as I was talking to him last night, you know what he said to me? He said, Pastor, the church has been at my house all day long. Comfort one another. He experienced through people in this congregation yesterday 
love. Confess your sins to one another. I know we don't want to confess our sins to one another, but that's where healing and growth is, is when we're able to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Here, here, here's, here's where I, I'm missing the mark in my relationship with God. Will you help me? Be kind to one another. You know we need that in our church and in our world. Be at peace with one another. Go on to the next slide. Have fellowship with one another. We think about this idea of fellowship. We're going to go uh, to the, the Family Life Center after the service, and we're going to eat a meal together, and we're going to say, man, we had fellowship together. And it's going to be fun. But no, no, no. Real fellowship is what? It is opening our lives up to each other. It is walking together by faith to accomplish the mission of God. That's what fellowship is, side by side to accomplish his purpose. Show hospitality to one another. I'm going to open my life up to you. You come. What I have is yours. I'm going to live an open-handed life. I want to bless you and help you. Honor one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Go on to the next slide. Build one another up instruct one another. Now, there are many more of these kinds of statements in the New Testament, but I just want you to grasp hold of what what the New Testament authors are showing us in these statements, that this is the kind of covenant commitment that we've made to each other, that we've made this commitment to love one another, and here's what it looks like. It doesn't look like bitterness. It doesn't look like anger. It doesn't look like jealousy. It doesn't look like selfishness. That's not what it looks like. It looks like comfort. It looks like encouragement. It looks like fellowship. It looks like hospitality. It looks like praying for each other. That's what it looks like. And that's the commitment we're making. And so so let me show you. So what this means then is this morning we are renewing our commitment to grow in love for one another. And here's why I know. You can't grow in love for one another without Christ. Because he's it. He is the one who's brought us into a relationship with himself and and given us a relationship with each other. And he is the one who is the model of love. He is love. And so, so without Christ, we don't even understand what real love is. But the more we walk with Christ, the more we grow in love, and the more what Paul says becomes true. Love overflows from us. You can't grow in love for others without sacrifice. It takes a sacrifice of time. It takes a sacrifice of your resources. It takes a sacrifice of your will, right? Or going to the next slide. You can't grow in love for others when you make life all about you. Some of us in this room, we really want to be loved. We want to experience all the benefits of people pouring into us, but then to actually turn around and give that to somebody else we struggle with. Or think about this. You can't grow in love for others if you don't make an attempt to know others. Well, think about how you're sitting in this room. You're looking straight ahead, and you see me up here, and what else do you see? The backs of a lot of heads, right? And some of the heads you see, not bad-looking heads. Uh, Others are kind of questionable. I I get all that, but, but when you sit in these rows, what you see is me, and what you see are the backs of a lot of heads. Can I just tell you, you don't grow in love for other people by coming to a place like this and sitting in a row and looking at the back of somebody's head. You just don't. I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad you're looking at the back of people's heads. And I'm glad you're looking at me. I appreciate that. Some of you are looking at your phone, but that's a different story, and I get that too. Uh, but, 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 but here's reality. You don't grow in love just by sitting in this room. You grow in love for others as you do what? 
get involved in the lives of people. Now, now here's what I know. We've experienced in our church tremendous growth over the last few years. Before we hit the summer and all of our college students were here and, and people started traveling for the summer, we were, for several Sundays or more, we were, you know, around 750 people showing up on our campus every single week. Praise God for that. It is hard to know that many people. I struggle with it. I want to know all of you well, but I just know my limitations. And you know your limitations as well. I know in a church our size, it's difficult to get to know everybody. But that's not the expectation that you know everybody in this church. The expectation is you build some lifelong relationships in this church that will walk with you as we accomplish the mission of God together. That's why it is so important that you are a part of a life connection group, that you're in a discipleship group. When there's those opportunities to serve, you plug in because not only are you serving, but in the process of that serving, you are working side by side with others, growing in relationships as you serve the Lord. Those things are essential if we're going to grow in love for each other. You cannot do it effectively just sitting in a row. We've got to come together and be involved in the lives of others. You're going to the next slide. You can't grow in love for others without giving a lot of grace because we are all going to make mistakes. We're all going to mess up. I've, I've been at this a long time. And there have been times I've said things that I know have offended and I know have hurt and I've needed grace. And there have been times when, when people have hurt me with the things they've said. In fact, I've, I've been a pastor now for, uh, for right around 20 years. I've, I've pastored several churches now and, and in every church I've been in, I know I've said things to hurt people. Not intentionally, I just, I, but because I'm imperfect. And in every church I've been in, someone has hurt me. And I expect for the rest of my life it's going to be that way. Why? Because we all mess up in sin. But I hope that when I offend you, that you give me a lot of grace. And I hope when you offend me, I give you a lot of grace. That's how we grow in love, understanding that none of us are perfect. We're all on this journey together. And even when we hurt each other we're going to confess that it's each other and and build that relationship back that's what it looks like you see and so so it's real simple and I, I know it's simple but it's intentionally simple all Paul is telling us is that at the heart of a covenant relationship is this idea that we are really growing in love for one another and with that said I need to make a confession to you and I, and I know for some of you this is gonna be hard to hear and for those of you who know me well you're going to be shocked, maybe even embarrassed, but I've but I got to tell you this. And, and, and I, I know for some of you, just by saying this, I'm going to let you down big time. And I'm going to go ahead and apologize and go ahead and ask your forgiveness and go ahead and tell you, I, I'm sorry, okay? So let me just make this confession to you. It's hard. Over the last three months, I've only been to Chick-fil-A three times. What, were you expecting something else? I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know what, you, what the problem is. So, 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 so many of you know, right, that I love that place. And, and usually it's, you know, at least three times a week, right? Not, not three times over the course of three months. But, but, but many of you know, too, if, if you know me, that, that for years I've run 20, 25 miles a week. That's just my routine, right? Well, that's caught up with me. And so, so this, this past winter, like, I was just having a lot of back pain and a lot of knee pain. And so, you know, after years of running, I said, you know, I just need to take a break and, and let my body heal up and take a few months and, and not run anymore. And so, so I stopped running. I was doing some other things, but I wasn't, you know, pounding the pavement. I wasn't getting that heart rate up like I needed to get. And, and, and so, you know, I, I just didn't make the connection connection well 
while that for all those years uh, that that running had helped me to keep my weight down. And, and, and so, so while I stopped running, what I didn't stop doing was I didn't stop going to Chick-fil-A. And, and so over the course of a few months, uh, I, I gained a few pounds. And, and so, so, so you don't know this because you, I, I hit it really well. But on stage, there were lots of Sundays that I could barely breathe because my pants were so tight. And, 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 and Stacy would laugh at me in the morning because I, I struggled to put them on. And it, it, it was just rough. And so, so, so three months ago, I decided to cut back. And I stopped going to Chick-fil-A. And instead of eating a chicken sandwich every day for lunch, I ate a protein bar, which was terrible. But now, I mean, I'm up here this morning, and I'm breathing, and, and so it's kind of paid off, right? And, and so, so, so for three months, I, I didn't go to Chick-fil-A, and it helped. It helped, it helped my, 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 my waistline, but knowing it helped my waistline, it, it helped my wallet because of inflation. A chicken sandwich is like 27 bucks now, and, and, and so, you know, just, I mean, if you're watching and you're a Chick-fil-A employee, I, I've missed you, and I, I'll be back someday, uh, but, but, you know, I just, just over the past few months, that's what I've done to kind of to get rid of some of that weight that was causing me not to be able to put my pants on, you know? And, 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 and staying away, now watch this, staying away from Chick-fil-A, now, it pains me to say this, staying away from Chick-fil-A has been good for me. I know, it's shocking. Now, and I tell you that to remind you that while staying away from a place that, that, that can harm your health is good for you. Staying away from the people of God is never good for you. And I know it. I know churches go through rough times. I know churches have rough patches. I know that, that we're people, and sometimes people hurt people. I get all that. And I've been there. I've been in those places of hurt. I've been in those places of, of betrayal where, where people I, I, I believe were walking in by faith that did me wrong. I've been there. I know the hurt alongside of you. But, but over the course of my life, being a part of the body of Christ, can I just tell you, in spite of all the times that maybe somebody has hurt me, through the body of Christ, God has done an amazing work in my life. And I realize every time I'm with you, even this week when we've gone through just a lot of heartache, how much I need the body of Christ. Staying away from the body and being disengaged from the body is never the answer. But being engaged in a community and committing to love one another, that is always the answer. It's messy and, and sometimes things get messed up. I get all that. But being together and learning to love and growing in faith together, man, God always honors that and, and grows us together and uses us, right? And so you think about a covenant Sunday. Today, we are renewing our commitment to grow in love for one another. But let me show you one more thing when we're done. I know we're almost out of time, but just bear with me for a few more minutes. Look at what it says. You come on down and you look at what it says in, in verse 13. Paul says in verse 12, may, your love over, may you overflow with love for one another and for everyone. Verse 13, may he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So today, we are renewing our commitment to grow in love for one another. But watch this. And again, he's not telling us anything new, but this is so essential. We are also renewing our commitment to grow in holiness together. Again, I'm not giving you new information. I'm just reminding you of what Christ is calling you to. We studied through Ephesians together. And we spent a lot of time talking about this idea of imitating God. God is really concerned about your holiness. 
He's really concerned about you living a righteous life, making wise choices, fleeing from sin, and honoring him with the way that you live. Why is God so concerned about your holiness? Why is he so concerned about you living a righteous life? And I I know you know what that word holy means. That word holy means simply to be set apart, different from the rest of the world, engaged in a lifestyle that brings glory to God. Why is God so interested in that in your life? He's interested in that because he is holy. There's none like him. He's perfect in every way. He's never made a mistake. He's never sinned, nor will he ever sin. He never does wrong. He's always just. He's always loving and merciful. And and because you and I, because we are made in his image, That's what he desires from us, that that made in his image, we would imitate his character and reflect his character to a lost and dying world. God really does desire your holiness. The problem is you don't desire your holiness near as much as God does. God is very concerned about your holiness. You and me, not so much. Because when we sin, we will say things like, oops, I did it again. You like that, didn't you? <laughs> we will say things like, I just made a mistake again. Or, and, and, I, and I get it. You did an oops. You made a mistake. Uh, but, but, but sin is far more than an oops or a mistake. Sin is outright defiance against a holy, loving, eternal God, you see? And I think the reason why we're so unconcerned with our holiness sometimes is because we don't really understand who God is. We don't understand that he's perfect in every way. We don't understand that he is supremely holy and desires us to walk in holiness. We don't understand. We don't understand that sin really is an outright attack on the nature of God. Because every time you and I sin, we are shaking our fist at God. And we are essentially saying to him, God, not your will be done. My will be done. I know what's best. I'm in charge. And you're not in charge. You see? And so you think about the commitment we're making. We're making a renewed commitment that we know God desires us as a people to live a holy life. And so since he does, we're committing together to help each other walk in holiness, right? And so just think about what that means. We have to know then that our time is limited. This is what Paul says in the passage. He says again, May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Christ is going to return. When Christ returns, will he say to his people, well done, good and faithful servant. You see? Your time is short and Christ is going to return. You know what you're thinking? Well, he might not return for another couple thousand years. That's true. But even if Christ tarries for a couple thousand more years, you know your time on this earth is short. You might live to 100 years old, 90. Or you might be called home at 50 or 40 or 30, 20, younger. You don't know the days that God has given you. And if you don't know the days that God has given you, why would you waste a single day? That's what Paul says. That's what the New Testament authors say, right? Make the most of your time. Live every day for the glory of the one who has given you life in Christ Jesus, right? We have to be a people who walk the talk. Man, have we not been reminded of that this week as we've thought about things that have happened in our own convention of churches? 
You had guys in positions of authority who talked the talk, but certainly did not walk the walk. And may it never be of us that we're people who can talk a big game, but not actually live out what we say we believe. And this world, my friend, desperately needs not just to hear you and your platitudes and and your remarks. What this world needs to see is you actually living out what you say you believe in your Christian faith. You see what I'm saying? That's holiness, living what you say you believe. Or think about this. We have to know that holiness matters for the spread of the gospel. And again, I, I hate to keep talking about it, but just think about this past week. You think about what's happened in our convention of churches and news organizations like CNN getting a hold of that or other organizations, Fox News, whatever. And then the ridicule. See, see, they're just as bad as. And I'm just telling you, I know none of us are perfect. I know we all mess up. We are all uh, a work in progress. I get that. But your sin, my sin, we're choosing to actively disobey the Lord and, and walk in that disobedience. It does indeed hinder our ability to share the gospel of Jesus Christ effectively. You see or think about this. We have to hold each other accountable because this is a group project. We're in this together. I I need people in my life. I need that discipleship group that I meet with on Friday mornings at 6 o'clock in the morning. I need them to ask me about my marriage. I need them to ask me about my my parenting. I need them to ask me about what I've been looking at or thinking about. I I need that. I need my staff that's here at Northwood to come around me and encourage me and and to help me walk in Christ's likeness. I I need our deacons. I I need you. We need each other, you see. We need this, this renewed commitment that together it, we know that it's important that we actually live out what we say we believe. And so we're going to help each other grow in holiness. And in a church like this, now watch this because this is true whether you believe it or not. In a church like this, you have all kinds of opportunities for people to come around you. We have designed it in such a way that you can be in a life connection group. You can be in a discipleship group. You can get the support you need. Celebrate recovery or whatever the case may be. You can get the support you need to help you walk in a way that honors Christ. And I love you, but let me just be blunt with you if I can. To not take advantage of the opportunities a church like this gives you to grow in Christ-likeness is absolutely foolish and dangerous to your soul, right? And so take advantage of it or think about this. We have to grow to hate what God hates. The reason why we we are so unconcerned about our own personal holiness oftentimes is because we just simply don't hate sin. We love sin. We love that that, that temporary satisfaction it gives us, and we're so short-sighted. We don't think about the damage it's actually doing to our hearts. And so just asking God to help us to grow, to hate what he hates. And, And just that reminder again, God absolutely hates your sin. He doesn't look at you in your sin and say, no big deal. No, 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 he doesn't do that. He wants you to despise your sin. God hates your sin so much that he sent his son Jesus to take your punishment for it so you would not have to experience eternal death, but instead you could be given the gift of eternal life. Or think about this. When we do fall into sin, which is bound to happen, love one another, restoring people in love. We don't want to be a judgmental people. That's not what we're covenanting to do. 
We're coming together and saying we're going to walk in holiness together. But in those moments when we fail, we're going to restore. We're going to help brothers and sisters in Christ overcome and walk by faith. This is the commitment that we make every single year. A renewed commitment to love each other and a renewed commitment to walk in holiness together. And as I think about this renewed commitment that we're, we're making this morning, I can't help but think about the Last Supper. Before Jesus died on the cross, he shared that meal with his disciples and he held up a cup. He said, this cup is the blood of what, church? A new covenant. It had been promised. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah and said, there is a new covenant coming. And it came. In Christ Jesus. And aren't you glad when you woke up this morning and you came to church, you didn't have to load up the car with the kids and a donkey or a goat or a sheep or a whatever and bring it here. And aren't you glad when you walked in, you didn't have to bring that goat up here and, 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 and slaughter it and see the blood poured? You didn't have to do that. None of that. You didn't have to come to me and say, hey, priest Tommy, because that's not who I am. You don't need a priest. Because you have a high priest named Jesus. You didn't have to do any of that because of a new covenant. Because 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who never sinned, perfect in every way, went to a cross and died as your perfect sacrifice. Like a sheep led to the slaughter, Christ died in your place. And when he died in your place, Once and for all, he took the punishment for all of your sins, past, present, and future. He paid the price to atone for your sins, to give you a new life, a righteous life, a gift. And he rose from the dead three days later to prove that he indeed was God who had the power to forgive your sins and give you abundant and eternal life, and ultimately resurrected life, you see? This morning, when you came to worship, you came into the presence of God, you were able to come into the presence of God. We were, because God made a new covenant with us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And in that new covenant is new life. And God has made a promise to us in this new covenant, has He not? And His promise to us is what, church? That this God who loves us, who gave his son Jesus for us, who died and rose again for us, this God who loves us, he will what? He will never leave us nor forsake us. You might fall down, you might sin, you might mess up, but the God who loves you, if you've placed your faith in him, if you've trusted him as Lord, if you've turned from your sin and turned to him, he will never, never, never kick you out of his family. You are his forever. That's the covenant. And this one who has made a covenant with you has called us as his people to live as a covenant family. And so as we end our time this morning, there's an invitation for those watching online or in this room that if you've never experienced this new covenant to be brought into a relationship with the Heavenly Father through faith in Jesus Christ, today is your day to do so. In the corner of this room, the corners of this room are two crosses. In just a moment after we pray, we're going to have a time of invitation. And, and, and if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never experienced the new covenant, I want to ask you just to get up and go to one of these crosses. There'll be someone there who wants to pray with you and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus.
to turn from your sins and to turn to Jesus by faith, believing that he died and rose again for you. If you're watching online, you'll see a number on the screen. Text the name Jesus to that number, and someone from our church will reach out to you very soon and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus. Now, for the rest of us, for those of us in this room who are a part of this faith family, if you are a covenant member of our church, some of you aren't that yet. You're going to go through our Connect Northwood class for the next couple weeks, and you're going to begin the process of being a covenant member. But for those of you who already are a covenant member, here's what we're doing. Today, we're just renewing. This is how we've been living together, and we're saying we're continuing to live together this way. And all that covenant is, uh, it's just a visual reminder to us of the commitment we're making to each other, right? And, and so as we uh, have this time of invitation after I pray, all I'm going to ask you to do, church, is, is take that covenant you have, just sign your name on it, just as a symbol of recommitment, and as a symbol of that recommitment, walk down front, place those covenants in this basket. And, and what I would hope you would do as you place those covenants in this basket, just take a moment there with your family or your neighbor, whoever, just take a moment and pray. Pray for our church that in the days ahead, God will continue to use us for his glory as, as we strive to serve him in this community. Father, thank you so much for today. And thank you for the privilege of being a part of a covenant church. And we don't take this lightly. We want to grow in our love for one another. And we want to grow in our holiness. And so I thank you, Jesus, that you've called us together, that you've saved us, and you've made us a family. And I pray that this morning, as we end our time together, if there's someone in this room or watching online that has yet to experience the grace of Christ Jesus and has yet to experience being a part of a covenant family, that person today would come professing you as Lord. And for those of us who belong to you now, we're going to take this time, we're going to commit it to you, and we're going to say, Jesus, we are continuing to be committed to the work that you're doing in the life of this church for your glory. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Rise to your feet as we sing. You come and you drop those covenants in that box, and you pray for our church, and let's renew our commitment together.